Happy Father's Day to all of you. We are so glad that each one of you uh, are here and want to just thank you for making worship a priority in your lives this morning. And uh, for those of you that are here uh, with family or you're here celebrating with your dads, we want to welcome you uh, today uh, on this special weekend. And I just want to say thank you for uh, centering uh, your day on uh, being in God's house. This is where we're called to be, and uh, there's no better place that we could be uh, today, no matter what's going on in your life. We want you to know that every single one of you are welcome here today, and that when we say we believe it's no accident that you're here, we really truly believe that. We have been praying for you. You are not just a random person that happens to be sitting in that random chair today. God knows you. He knows exactly what's going on in your life, and he has a good work to do in your heart and all of our hearts this morning. Amen? Amen. All right. So uh, in, on, in honor of Father's Day uh, today, um, I, uh, I want to start with a question for every single one of us, because no matter what your, your family situation happens to be today or who you're with, all of us have a dad. All of us have uh, a father in one way, shape, or form, and uh, maybe it's a great relationship, maybe it's not. Maybe they're here today, maybe they're not, but I think this question applies uh, to all of us. So I wonder, what just think to yourself, you don't have to shout it out or anything like that, what is the greatest gift or greatest blessing that you have ever received from your dad? Just think about that. Could be when you were really young could be something that's kind of an ongoing blessing or, or something just recently. What is the greatest gift or greatest blessing that you have ever received from your dad? Maybe it's like that special gift that you always wanted, uh, that, that birthday gift or that Christmas gift. Uh, maybe it was the gift of his time. Maybe what you loved about your dad is how he took the time to, to nurture you or to, to teach you a hobby, teach you how to do something, uh, to fix something, uh, a special time together. Maybe it's uh, uh, his greatest gift was uh, a trip that you got to spend together. What is the greatest gift that your dad has ever, ever given to you? And so, yeah, absolutely. God blesses us with human fathers to give us a glimpse of what he's like. And even though they don't always measure up, that's God's plan. He still works through fathers. And whether you can think of something specific or not, all of us have had things passed on to us by our fathers. And so I was thinking about my dad this week, and of course I'm I'm incredibly grateful for the man uh, that he is and all that he's given to me. But I also have realized, you know, the older we get, um, and this is for guys and gals too, this isn't just uh, for dads, the older we get, we all realize that our dads has pass things on to us. And one of the things about my dad is that he has a a terrible memory and he just forgets things like dismissing kids for KQ. And so at this time, we're going to, do you like how I did that? Uh, We're going to dismiss kids grades K through five as the teachers are waving me down like an airport terminal back there. Uh, Head on out for summer KQ and have an awesome time together. Give the kids a hand because they're awesome. Praise God for them. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, that worked out well. Um, Or not. Very smooth. Uh, One of the things uh, that I realized is that we pick up some weird quirks and interesting things that our dads pass on to us. And some of them are just, well, strange and annoying. You know what I'm talking about, right? And if you have any questions, just ask your spouse. So I asked my wife this week, and I thought this was a safe question, but it turned out not to be. I asked my wife and I said, honey, What's just for the sake of the sermon, because I need a little intro for my sermon, what is one kind of weird quirk or annoying thing that you know that I do that's just like my dad? And without hesitating, she gets 
overly overwhelmed, excited that I asked her this question. He goes, she's like, chewing, chewing. It has to stop. You chew like your father. You're not a horse. You're not a cow. You're a man. The chewing, it's got to stop. Just slow down, chill out. Your food's going to be there on the plate the next time you go to take a bite. So just <laughs> chill out, right? Chewing, that's got to be it. So like, whoa, okay, thank you. I think I've got my opening sermon illustration. And I turn to walk away and she says, oh, do you want more? <laughs> so, oh, I guess there is more. Okay. And so hesitantly, I kind of say, okay, keep them coming. And then comes the list. So here's the list. Uh, and this is just a sample. So go ahead and go to the next slide. Um, so first of all, she said, okay, you're chewing. Secondly, your obsession with locks. Do you know that you lock everything? Like this is just rattling off. Like she was prepared for the list. Okay. So you, you lock the car, you lock the house, you lock everything. Anything that has a lock, you lock it and you lock it. Even if you're going to step away from it for two seconds, lock it, leave, come back. Why is it locked? Cause you locked it. Stop locking everything. Number three, the way you go like this. Yeah. That is exactly like your dad. You do that all the time, whether you're in a meeting or on the phone or anything. Yeah, exactly like your dad. Number four, the way you answer the phone. Hello, this is the Annensons, right? Exactly like your dad. I don't know if it's you, I don't know if it's Stefan. Exactly like your dad. Number five, you analyze things way too slow. Just make a decision already, right? <laughs> exactly like your father. And number six, you have this strange obsession with Fritos. I don't know what it is, but that is what your father has passed on to you. You always got to have a bag of Fritos in the house. Fritos and Dr. Pepper. So I don't know about you, but uh, wives, can we just get an Amen. Uh, any of you, similar things, right? You're thinking of these things that your husbands do. Uh, maybe you can think of things personally about yourself that your dad has passed on to you. Some of them are great. Some of them are not so great. Of course, my wife ends this list with a, of course, you know, I love you. Just change it, right? So uh, I'm sharing those things, uh, and I can guess some of you can think of of something similar. But we start to think about our dads long enough, and we start to have memories. Some of them are fun and quirky like this, but unfortunately today may not be a fun day for all of us, right? For a lot of us today can be a really difficult day because the things that your dad has passed on to you are not all, well, fun and quirky. Some of them are not so good. Some of your earthly fathers have let you down or you barely knew them. Our relationships with our dad, whether we like it or not, can be the defining relationship in our lives and have a profound effect on who we become. And so I just want to say today that you could not be in a better place because in God's house, there's healing. In God's house, there's forgiveness. There's this big church word that we like to use called reconciliation. This idea that God is putting things back together, and that's his heart, and that's his desire for you today. So if you hear me say nothing else today, know that God is a God that puts things back together. Though no matter if today is a great day or a not-so-great day for you, we have a Father in heaven that says he loves us more than we could ever imagine. He is our earthly father, and he comes and he fills in those gaps for everything that our earthly father was not. He loves you, and he offers us today the invitation to forgive, whether that's yourself or maybe your dad or your son, to find hope and encouragement. And we also have a God that comes to us today and gives us a much bigger story, a much bigger picture, a story about a father who, in the, in the Bible, who wasn't perfect either, 
And although he was really old, he has passed along something to us, not just some quirky habits, but he has passed on something to us as his children that will never grow old, that will never break down, a gift that will never fail us, and a gift, well, that keeps on giving. And the best part is, this gift is for you. It's for you because all of us are his children. In fact, he has millions of children, and his name is Abraham. And what is the gift, you might ask? Well, for that, let's dive in to the book of Romans. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to discover what that great gift that Abraham offers us today is. So if you want to turn to Romans chapter 4, uh, grab a Bible, uh, as Nick said there at the ends of the rows, if you need one. We're going to discover more about Abraham today, not in the Old Testament, where most of the stories are found, but actually in the book of Romans. We've been in this series now for a few weeks Uh, This actual, what's a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome just years before he would come to them, and he's taking the opportunity to teach them, what is it that your faith should be based on? What what is it that the, the very center of our faith, and last week, Pastor Mike reminded us that this relationship with God always trumps the law. It's always love over law. Love changes us. Law doesn't change us. Love does. That's how God works. God is always about love over the law, and there's nothing that we can do on our own strength to make us good enough to be in a relationship with God, to to make us earn his love. Even trying to obey the law perfectly in in order to be a perfect Christian, none of us are ever going to measure up. And so when we arrive on the scene here in Romans chapter 4, Romans is right after Acts in the New Testament, so we're in Romans 4. Paul, like any good writer, which he is, he's an extremely good writer, he wants to give us an example of that. Okay, who is someone that's actually lived by faith? Who's someone that didn't try to justify themselves by how good of a Christian they were? Who's someone that actually lived by faith? And so he cuts right to the heart of the matter, and he lifts up this person of Abraham. So we read in verse 1, Romans chapter 4, verse 1, and we read this. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? How are we are made right with God? Verse 2. In fact, Abraham was justified by works. He had, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. So what does scripture say? And let's let's, uh, go to the next slide and read the last part of this verse together, because this is the crux of Paul's argument today. Let's read this together. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, Paul says, there's a lot of reasons that on this Father's Day, we can celebrate the fact that Abraham was a great father. There are many things in Abraham's life that he could have boasted in, but what is it that Paul chooses to focus on? Abraham trusted God. He made God the very foundation of his life, and that's why we remember him. That's why he's all throughout the scriptures. That's why he was righteous. Not because of all the good things he had done, but because of who God was. That's why he was righteous. Not because he followed all the rules. No, Abraham has given us the gift of faith, of what it looks like to walk by faith. That is the gift, that is the legacy that he leaves us. And I don't know about you today, Just think about this for a second. I don't know about you, but I want to live by faith like that. I want a faith that's real. I want a faith 
for today. <laughs> I want a faith that, that is, is good enough for Wednesday afternoon, just as it is for Sunday morning when you're here for a special service on Father's Day. Does your faith work like that? Or do you just kind of live on the mountaintops? Or do you just kind of come for an hour once a week and go through the motions? Is your faith alive today? When we look at the life of Abraham, we discover a, a dynamic tried and tested faith that was anything but perfect, but didn't rely on his own strength. It relied on God's. And I believe when we look at Abraham's life, there's three stories that we kind of want to lift out of this passage today that bring us back to the Old Testament. There's three stories from his life that show us how Abraham walked by faith. And so the first one is actually in the book of Hebrews. So if you turn there with me, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be bouncing around, so keep those Bibles open, and you'll use all your fingers today uh, to mark your spot. So Hebrews chapter 11, it's a couple uh, books past Romans. Hebrews chapter 11. And this chapter talks about Abraham as well. This is what Paul is talking about in Romans today. Abraham's life. So Hebrews chapter 11. Biblical scholars affectionately call this chapter the Hall of Fame of Faith. So if you want to learn how to live by faith, who lived by faith, this is who is lifted up. And we start in verse 8. This is what it says about Father Abraham. The first part of his life. Hebrews 11 verse 8. By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Now, if you need a little bit of context to this story, it's important to understand the writer of Hebrews is referencing this story in Genesis when Abraham is called to leave the, the land of Ur where he is with his entire family, which in those days is hundreds and hundreds of people. He's called to leave the comfort and security of where he is, where he spent his whole life, and go on a journey into the un. No. So my question for you is, what do you do when you're called to go somewhere into the unknown? What do you do when where you're called to go is a mystery? What do you do when staying where you are when here is so much safer and more comfortable than there? What do you do when God in your life takes you right to the edge of the unknown and says, that's where I want you? Go there. And for us, it's probably not going to be moving to a different country like Abraham. It might be. But what if God's call on your life today to exercise and walk by faith is about moving out of your comfort zone and, 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 and meeting those neighbors across the street that they've heard of this Jesus, but they're not really sure what a Christian looks like? What, what, what about taking the step of faith to, to go into the land of the unknown and confront that friend and speak the truth and love and tell them the words they need to hear? What about taking, taking the journey and venturing into the unknown by, by taking the time to explore the vastness of your spouse's heart, learning what their hopes, dreams, and fears are, what about taking a step of faith and just asking God, where would you have me work? Where would you have me live? And then having the courage to follow his lead. 
What would that look like for you today? Abraham was commended for his faith because he was willing to enter into the unknown places of life, trusting that God was already there. Hebrews 11.1 puts it this way, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And then it says, this is what the ancients were commended for, meaning this is what Abraham and all his buddies were commended for. It's almost as if Abraham was walking around with a, a blindfold <laughs> through the desert all those years on his journey. Now, I'm guessing, has anybody ever had the experience of walking around blindfolded in their life? Have you ever been blindfolded in a, in a group or a game or something like that? If you've ever been blindfolded, you know it's kind of strange. And I wonder, what would it look like? I'm not going to actually do this, but what would it look like this morning if I took one of you and I placed you at this end of the gym and I said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make it over there to that corner by the exit sign, blindfolded. Go. What do you think would happen? That'd be an absolute disaster, wouldn't it? You'd be tripping over people and running into people, and, and you wouldn't have any, uh, any uh, idea or direction where to go. I'd say, no, uh, stop, turn there, no, and, and you would just completely fall over everybody. If you had to walk up here, that'd be a bigger disaster, and you'd knock over all the instruments and all the speakers. It'd be terrible. But what difference would it make if you had somebody walking with you or a little bit ahead of you saying, stop, turn, Move around, slow down, speed up, turn left, step over it, move to the left, move to the right. That would make a big difference. It would make a big difference to have a guide, somebody giving you direction. The problem is when it comes to following God and, and walking with God through the twists and turns of life, we don't like living like that. We don't like living by faith. We'd rather use our sight, because it's much safer. And I wonder if it's because we're not quite sure about the one giving us direction. But that's what Abraham was lifted up for. Sometimes in our lives, we might hear God say, speed up, slow down. Now turn to the left. Now take a nut. No, turn to the right. <laughs> Wait for a little bit. That's a hard one. Wait. Slow down. Back up. Stay put. We don't always like the guide we have. We would rather take control and do it ourselves. Abraham is listed in the Hall of Fame of Faith not because he was perfect, but because he trusted God as his guide to lead him into the unknown. Or as 2 Corinthians puts it, we walk by faith, not by sight. You see, for all of us, even if we did that exercise and I had you walk from one end of the gym to the next, when we're done, the blindfold could come off. But I wonder this morning, I wonder, what if the blindfold was real? What if God was really calling you to walk by faith and not by sight? What if you didn't have a choice but to trust? No one knows that better than a gal named Alyssa, and I want to share with you uh, this short video and share with you her story this morning. And as you watch this uh, short story about Alyssa, ask yourself, what might her life teach us about walking by faith and not by sight? Let's take a look. 
I've been blind since birth. I have a disease called Leber's congenital amaurosis. People often ask me, you know, is it hard being blind? Is it scary? And it's not. It's just a normal way of life for me. when I was angry about being blind. I was very into makeup and trying to look my best. I really wanted to look in the mirror and see what I look like, but I couldn't. The Lord spoke to me and he told me that I am beautiful on the inside and that I don't have to worry about what I look like on the outside and that he is the only one who can tell me what I look like. The mirror can't. If I could see, I don't think my faith would be as strong. Because for a blind person, you have to rely on the Lord. It's like your faith becomes more real because you're used to not seeing things. You're used to believing in someone that you can't see. Like for example, my mom, I can't see her. I may be able to hear her, but even if I couldn't, I can't see her, but I know she's there. So for me, I think it's easier to know and to understand that though I can't see God, He's really there. I think it has a lot to do with walking by faith and not by sight. this desire to help people, but I feel like being blind sort of limits me as to what I can do. But the reality is, God has given me a gift of singing for Him and leading worship, and I feel like that's my way of helping people, because I'm grateful for that. joy and so much anticipation because I know that the first face we're ever going to see is Jesus and that means the world to me. Yeah, you can clap for that. Absolutely. Praise God. Gives us some insight and to what Abraham might have felt. Gives us a whole new meaning of what it means to walk by faith. 
and literally not by sight. <laughs> For Alyssa, that's the norm. There is no alternative. And I love what she says about her mom. She says, I don't know if she's there. I just have to trust it. I just have to trust. And I, I wonder if it wasn't the same for Abraham. I didn't always know where God was and how he was working in my life, but I just had to trust that when I reached out, he was there. And then she says, you know what? I think if I could see, I don't know if my faith would be as strong. Wow, isn't the same true for us? And nothing could be more true for Abraham as well as he entered this next test of faith in his life. So turn back with me to Romans chapter 4 for this next step of faith that Abraham has to take. Chapter 4, verse 19. God calls Abraham to a pretty crazy thing, him and his wife, actually. Chapter 4, verse 19. Paul references the story and he says, Without weakening in his faith, he, meaning Abraham, faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Now that's a nice way of saying you're old. Uh, since he was about 100 years old. That's old, folks. And, uh, and that Sarah's womb, his wife Sarah, his, Sarah's womb was also dead. Now, knowing that that's how old they are, we remember back in Genesis, God's promise to Abraham is that he would make him the father of many nations, right? That his descendants would outnumber the stars in the sky and the sands on the beach. So you have to imagine when, when God comes to a 100-year-old couple, right? Abraham and Sarah, and says, you're going to have a child. In fact, you're going to have millions of kids. You're going to be the father of all these nations. You have to imagine they had a pretty good laugh, right? I mean, this doesn't happen. When the la- when's the last time you looked at the back page of the Des Moines Register where the new births are listed? And read, 90-year-old parents uh, welcome home a new baby boy, and they are welcoming the infant home to their assisted living facility, right? <laughs> you just don't read that, right? Only in the Bible, Or maybe not. Or maybe God can still do things like that, but it's helpful to know that's the odds that Abraham and Sarah are up against. But what does Abraham do? He lives by faith. Skip down to verse 20. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Verse 21, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Are you fully persuaded today? Or is your faith just kind of shaky? God doesn't want it to be shaky. He wants you to be fully persuaded. Does that mean it's easy? No. Does that mean we never doubt? No. But Abraham was lifted up because he was fully persuaded that God had the power to do it. Not himself and his own ability to figure it out or be strong enough. (laughs) He, he had to be fully persuaded because God's the only one that can do it. Sometimes you know you're in God's will if he's called you to do something and there's no way that you can do it without him. Chances are he's in it. If your dream, if what God has called you to do is way bigger than anything you could accomplish on your own, then maybe God's in it because you absolutely need him. And that was the case with Abraham and Sarah. The second way that Abraham walked by faith is that he risked hope. He risked living in hope. And I don't know about you, but let's just be honest for a second. When we look around, 
we don't see a lot of hope. Not just in the world, but in the church too. Let's get honest, folks. There's a lot more cynicism than there is hope. When we look around, there's a lot more people that that are kind of jaded. We live jaded by the hardships of life rather than hope in an unseen God. I don't know what it is for you, but maybe it's that constant rejection that you've got from trying to find a job. Maybe for others, it's that continual battle that you have with that illness or that sickness. Or still for others, it's maybe one bad relationship after the next. And you're wondering, would anyone in their right mind keep looking, keep trying, keep hoping? Would anyone in their right mind trust that God could still bring somebody into their life? Because it's dangerous to put your hope in what you cannot see. It's dangerous to trust a God that is so wild. But as C.S. Lewis, a great Christian author, once wrote about God, safe? Of course he's not safe. But he's good. But he's good. And that's the God that we encounter in Abraham's story. What would it look like for you to risk living with hope today? What would it look like to maybe just for a little while put the cynic aside? Put the jadedness of your life aside and all the things and maybe just stop being the victim for a second and let a wild hope rise within you. And say, God, I'm going to give you another shot because I know you're faithful. And so we read on in Genesis Uh, You don't have to turn there right now, but uh, we read in Genesis 21 that just when they thought all hope was lost, God blesses Abraham and Sarah, this 100-year-old couple, with a boy. And they name him Isaac, which means laughter. Because when God told Abraham he was going to have a son, he literally fell on his face and started belly laughing, right? So those of you parents that are with child right now, that's a good idea. If it's kind of a funny thing, name him Isaac, right? Uh, There's an idea for you. You have to imagine this was quite the hilarious situation. So they named him Isaac. Laughter. A God who brings joy. A God who brings laughter into our lives. And yet, it wasn't that laughter. I have to imagine it was the laughter of others at them that might have caused them to be cynical. That might have caused them to be jaded. And you might say, okay, John, that's a great story, but you know what? That's in the Bible, and it all worked out for them, but it hasn't worked out for me yet. What happens when God doesn't seem to provide? What happens when it seems like God does the exact opposite? Well, turns out Abraham knows what that's like as well. If you thought for a moment that Abraham's faith was weak, we learn just a few years later how strong it is. If you want to, turn to Genesis chapter 22, all the way at the beginning of your Bibles. We're getting some good exercise today around uh, the scripture. Genesis chapter 22, uh, the very first book in your Bible. We're going to start at verse 2. And this is the third way that Abraham learns to walk by faith. Genesis 22, verse 2. It says this, Then God said to Abraham, Take your son, your only son, who you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Now, listen to this. Sacrifice him, them, him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. 
that I will show you. <laughs> if you're Abraham, that's enough to take your breath away. I mean, those of you that are fathers, those of you that are parents here today, you can only imagine what Abraham must have felt. <laughs> oh God, you, you got to be kidding me. I mean, I trust you and everything, but seriously, <laughs> this is my only son. This is the son I waited a hundred years for. The one desire I have in life is to pass on the faith to my son. You fi- I waited and you finally provided him for me and now you're taking him away from me? How can I trust you in that? God, you don't, Abraham says, you don't even know what you're asking and God says, yes, I do. I'm asking you to trust me. I'm asking you to trust me. When we look at this story, the third way that God calls Abraham to live by faith is to loosen his grip. (laughs) He had this grip so tightly on this idea of his son that this was the most important thing in his life that it had actually taken priority over his relationship with God. Sometimes in life we got to loosen our grip on the things that we hold so dearly. And the same is true in golf. Now, it's kind of a big weekend. Uh, some of you may know it's the U.S. Open golf tournament this weekend, and the final round is today. Any golf fans out there? Three of you, thank you. Um, uh, big day today for golf, and uh, if you've played any golf, you know that one of the most important things about golf is not your swing, it's not what kind of clubs you use, it's not what kind of ball you use, it's not what course you play, it's not necessarily how much you practice, it's your grip. Because it can mean everything. You can have a great swing. You can be Tiger Woods, but if you don't have a great, great grip, it changes things. Anybody that plays golf will tell you if your grip is too loose and you swing, the club can go flying right out of your hands. If your grip is too tight, right, you overcompensate, and when you swing, you're trying to control it too much that the ball usually goes way to the left way to the right because you're trying to control instead of letting the club do what it was supposed to do. Abraham was called to loosen his grip on Isaac. And you might think, well, thanks, Pastor John. That's a great golf tip for today. I'll use that. Um, Wow, what if it was much more than about golf? What if there was something that you've been holding on to so tightly, just like Abraham, that God is saying, you trust me? (laughs) Loosen your grip a little bit. Let it go. I wonder if Abraham's grip was too tight, but what about yours? What happens when the thing that you're holding on to so tightly isn't Isaac, but what if you're holding on to this, this so desperately, this need for a certain lifestyle that you want to live? What if you're holding on to so tightly today this version of Christianity and church that you've created and you're saying, that's it. That's what church is. That's my view of Christianity and I'm not letting go of it. And God says, loosen your grip. Let me show you what you were created to do. You weren't made to control and figure out your life on your own. What if the thing that God wants to to loosen you up, what if the thing that you have white knuckles because of is because you don't want to let go of your kids? You won't let them fly. You won't let them leave and become their own person. What if the area of life that you need to loosen your grip 
a little bit is your need to control every aspect of every relationship in your life so that it goes just perfectly. Your need for popularity, your need for status, your need for that advancement, your need for that new toy, even as adults. Loosen your grip. Let go. And so the story continues. Back to Genesis chapter 22. We pick up the story in verse 9. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac. I mean, just breathe us in for a second. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Dads, breathe that in for a second. Kind of a wild God do we serve. One that wants your ultimate trust, not your religion, you. Verse 10, then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But, verse 11, the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, Abraham. You loosened your grip on the thing that was most precious to you. And verse 13, Abraham looked up and there was a ram caught in the thicket. I have to believe that from that moment forward, for Abraham, the words my and mine took on a whole new meaning. What does it look like for you to walk by faith? To loosen your grip on whatever that you might be clinging to? And you might be thinking, okay, John, that's just a a story of a God who wants to take away the things that we love. And I would say, no, 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 it's much more than that. This is certainly a test for Abraham, but more importantly, I believe it's a story about a God who provides. Not always in the way that we desire. All those things we're holding on to, all those things you're waiting for, all those things in your life that you long for, that you're waiting for a breakthrough for. Could Abraham have ever imagined that God would provide a ram? (laughs) God always gives us what we need, not just what we think we want. Will you trust him for that today? Will you trust him? Abraham became the father of many nations because he passed along a legacy of faith, not in himself, but in God. Abraham passed on a legacy of faith to all of us, his children, and he asked us to do the same. And so today... When we look at the story of Abraham's life, whether you're a dad or a parent or maybe even a grandparent today, do you believe the greatest gift that you could ever give your family is a faith that breathes? Not a Sunday faith, not religion, (laughs) a faith that breathes, a faith that that's real. I mean, just think about it. How incredible for Abraham's family to be able to, to many years after Abraham has died, how incredible for Abraham's family, all the kids, all the grandkids, all the great, great, great grandkids to sit around the fire long after Abraham has gone. And they ask their parents, Daddy, 
Grandpa, what does it mean to walk by faith? What is following God all about? And how incredible for the adults to be able to say, kids, let me tell you a story about your great, great grandfather, Abraham. Because he lived it. Because it was real and it was tested in the fire. It was tested. So on this day, when we celebrate fathers, what would it look like for many, many years from now or what your kids are going to say about you? What legacy are you passing down like Abraham did? It's not only important on this day for us to pass on the faith, but it's important for us to thank those that have passed it on to us. And so today, we're not just going to talk about it. We're actually going to do something about it. And so uh, here in a moment, the ushers are going to come around, and they're going to give you a card to write on with an envelope. And this is not to put on the floor. It's not to doodle on. Uh, It's for you. And in a moment, uh, we're going to just give you some time to reflect on these stories and most importantly to reflect on who is it that has been a father to you? Who is it that's passed on the faith to you? And so we can go ahead and start handing out these cards and just take one, uh, one for everybody. Uh, And kids, you can do this too. This is uh, for everybody as well. And what we're going to do is we're going to just give you a few moments to express gratitude. We're going to give you a few moments to think about who is it that walked by faith and modeled that for me? Who is that person in my life? Now, some of, for some of you, as you're thinking about this, it might be your dad. <laughs> that person you're thinking of today, it might be your father, and they might be here today. <laughs> or maybe that's somebody that's a part of the church community here that you're not related to, but they've been a model a faith to you. They've been a father figure to you. Maybe it's an uncle. Maybe it's a grandfather. Maybe it's a mentor in the church or, or in the community. For me, it was a man, a neighbor growing up when I was in high school that just opened up his home for a, a high school boys Bible study with a bunch of rowdy high school boys. He was a father to me. I'm, I'm going to write him a thank you note. Don't let another Father's Day go by without thanking those who have passed on the faith to you and then in turn passing it on to somebody else. Who has fathered you over the years? And this is not just for parents. It's not just for kids. This is for everybody. Every single one of you has been influenced by someone. So don't worry about making it fancy. (laughs) Just be real. Just be yourself. Who's been a father to you? Let's follow the example of Abraham and pass on the faith. So take some time to reflect on who God has brought into your life. Uh, We're going to close in worship, and uh, I just want you to know today, (laughs) we have a God that's our Father that we can talk to anytime, anywhere. You don't have to write a letter to Him. He's there. Wherever you are, no matter what you're going through, Today And if today is a difficult day for you because of the relationship with your dad, I just want you to know 
You have a Father in heaven that loves you. And he loves you. And he is worthy of our worship. So let's stand together and let's pray. And, uh, and then we'll sing together.